0: remain standing for the reading of Scripture this morning, which you'll find in the Gospel of St. Mark chapter 4. We continue on in the exposition, coming to verses 21 through 34 this morning. The Gospel of St. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 21, let us hear and attend, let us listen with ears to hear the Word of God. Also he, Jesus, said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which shall not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to, uh, to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how, for the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens immediately, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Then he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. And with many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. And we'll end our reading of the Holy Scriptures there this morning. Please be seated. Jesus did not invent the parable form, both in the Bible and outside of the Bible. The parable is an ancient form found in wisdom literature. It's associated with proverbs, with dark sayings, with riddles. But just as Jesus is uniquely the incarnate wisdom of God... So his parables are also uniquely divine revelations, primarily about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And I've been pointing out to you that we uh, recognize that that term or those phrases are used synonymously. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, they mean the same thing and are used interchangeably. It's not overly simplistic to categorize Jesus' parables as one-of-a-kind, unique, one-of-a-kind earthly stories, Revealing heavenly realities. The magisterial mysteries of our creator God about his way of salvation and eternal life. Things we could not know unless God revealed them to, him, uh, to us. Unless he revealed those things to us. That's what we talk about when we talk about the mysteries of God. And you know that the term uh, mysteries is the foundation basis for the word sacraments. taken over from Latin. Uh, the Latin sacramentum used for the uh, Greek "mysterion." That means things God reveals to us that we couldn't otherwise know. Baptism wouldn't mean anything to us if we didn't know what God says it means. The waters mean something. They mean something as God gives us a revelation about them. The the Lord's Supper, the, the bread and the cup, they mean something. It's just bread, it's just wine or juice. But it means something symbolically attached to a greater reality from heaven that God tells us what it means. And so that's what we're talking about, the magisterial mysteries of God. He reveals to us heavenly realities, what the kingdom of God is, his way of salvation and eternal life. Uh, I have enjoyed since my uh, days of uh, ministry preparation in university a an old reference called McClinton and Strong's Cyclopedia of Biblical, Theological, and Ecclesiastical Literature. Uh, you can, from the name of the thing you can uh, expect it was written in the 1800s uh the cyclopedia biblical ecclesiastical and and theological literature Uh, anyway i have a quote for for you this morning from the uh, article on parables that i think is so good that i wanted to share it with you we must constantly bear in mind that the parables of christ teach directly neither history nor doctrine nor morals nor prophecy they express directly only certain great principles of the savior's divine kingdom of the kingdom of heaven or God, when that kingdom comes into contact with the human heart. History, doctrine, morals, prophecy may be deduced from them because the truth of God and the human heart are essentially the same in all ages. But it is with principles alone that the parables deal, with principles which imply doctrines, which result in morals, which appear in the history of the past and which will reappear in the future. To set forth these principles in a sphere which is wider than that of either individuals or churches is the sphere of divine truth in contact with the heart of man. And this is the object of the New Testament parables. To bring the truth of God into contact with us. The principles of the kingdom of God. And what Jesus says about those things that are revealed and those things that are concealed and why. So we go on this morning in chapter 4 where Mark continues with straight talk about Jesus Christ as the gospel source, being uniquely Son of God. That's where he starts out in chapter 1. And then he goes on elaborating as we come to chapter 4, that as the unique Son of God and Son of Man, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's already established that He's Lord. He has the authority on earth to forgive sin. But here we go into chapter 4. He's Lord and mediator of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And He is also, as we'll see next week in the conclusion of chapter 4, Creator. He is the uncreated God. And we never tire of pointing out from the opening of the Bible in Genesis all the way through the conclusion of, of, of Revelation, what is set before us, that God is Creator and God is Savior. And in heaven, God is worshiped in the person of the resurrected Jesus Christ as Creator And Savior. And what is uh, Mark bringing before us here in chapter 4? That Jesus is mediator and Lord. He's the keeper of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. He makes them known or he conceals them by his lordship and authority. And that as he then comes to still the wind and the sea, he is creator. He has authority and power over the creation because he is creator. He is uniquely the Son of God and the Son of man. And we celebrate in Advent season, as we should, the unique person of Jesus Christ, the God man. So, Jesus' parables, I want you to remember this. We've mentioned it a little bit before. Jesus' parables are not allegories, there is no one to one correspondence of each detail. That leads us astray oftentimes when there's an attempt to bring a one to one correspondence for everything. I'll have some more illustration of that as we go along this morning. So, parables are not allegories, parables are not fables. They're not stories made impressionable by legends and myths. Parables are not moralisms. And this is one of my soapboxes, as you know, where we try to take the word of God and treat it as a self-help manual. The parables are not moralisms. They're not cautionary tales about the consequences of good versus bad decisions or behavior. And so uh, we... Look to the parables to understand that they are divine revelation. They are the magisterial mysteries of the kingdom of God that Jesus is pleased to use earthly stories to reveal to us those divine and eternal and holy secrets of God. Now in chapter 4, we've seen verses 1 through 13. To understand Jesus' parables by a revealed and learned knowledge begins by faith believing Jesus' mysteries about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. As a matter of fact, Jesus says without faith, you can't understand his parables. He says they're concealed. They are revealed to those who have faith. They're concealed to those who don't have faith. And so it's not just understanding the parallels and understanding intellectually. You can understand that Jesus says the seed is the word of God. The question is, do you believe it? And if you believe it by faith, the Holy Spirit witnesses to and and germinates if you will, the truth of God to reveal more to us, to teach us more. And so the gift of faith enlivens the soul to the intuitive witness of the Holy Spirit bearing the fruit of God's word. So you simply cannot intellectualize the parables. As a matter of fact, the parable form was scorned. Even in Jesus' day by some of the scribes and Pharisees, the parable form was scorned as common. That's just common. Illiterate people need stories. Children need stories. We're the intelligentsia. But what did Jesus use? He used parables. And to those who are of faith, it germinates by the Holy Spirit to truth and understanding the word of God. To those without faith, it it continues to be concealed and even scorned. We looked last week at verses 13 through 20 that this parable of Jesus is often called the parable of the sower. Is sometimes called the parable of the soils. I wanted to add to you, as, we, as Jesus gave us the interpretation of it, that I think it should also be con- considered the parable of the abundant harvest. The thing that I think we must not overlook is that the seed that was sown outside of the field was the limited seed. Where was most of the seed? Where was most of the good seed sown? In the good soil. And what was the conclusion of the parable? An abundant harvest. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. So we don't need to be misdirected over the seed that was outside and didn't bear fruit. That was limited. But we should focus on the abundant harvest that Jesus promises us that the word of God will bring. How do we know that? He's going to further challenge us with it this morning. By faith. Do you believe that the word of God and the foolishness of preaching and the small little scattered uh, families of God that worship together, do you believe that is greater than the world? Do you believe the kingdom of God is greater than the world? By faith you must believe that. You won't see it with your eyes. But by faith. So this morning we continue on in verses 21 through 25. And Jesus here gives us examples of a lamp and of a unit of measure. Look at verses 21 through 25. And Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which shall not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. So Jesus uses two examples here. An example of a lamp and an example of a unit of measure. And I want to point something out to you very carefully. Um, Every analogy used for illustrating divine truth is not a parable. And I want you to latch a hold of that. Here, the lamp and the unit of measure are not parables. Even though sometimes they're presented in this context, oh, these are parables too, but I think we missed something every analogy that is used for illustrating divine truth is not a parable Uh, we know for example the apostle paul uses the analogy of the body i believe he elaborates on that from what jesus taught jesus taught that he was the head of his church the body he's the head of the body well paul goes on to talk about how everybody in the body of christ is not an ear or a nose and such things he elaborates in an illustration for us it's not a parable So every analogy that is used in Scripture to give us an illustration of divine truth is not a parable. And I think it's important that we recognize that. So here in verses 21 and 22, we have a lamp that is used as an object lesson. This lamp is used as an object lesson of faith seeing. Okay? Why do you buy a lamp? Why do you buy a flashlight? Uh, You don't buy it to put it under your mattress. You don't buy it to turn it on and put it in the closet. So Jesus says, this is common sense. No one buys a lamp, an oil lamp of that day and lights it and puts it under a basket where it doesn't give any light. Nobody buys it and and puts it under their bed or covers it up. That's the whole idea. The light is not bought with the intent of covering up. It's bought with the intent of using it to light the way. (laughs) And so he's using a very common example to us, but he's talking to us about faith-seeing how we are to see by the light of the Word of God. It's based on God being all-seeing. That's why he says that everything will be revealed. Not not the secrets of God that are to him alone, the inscrutable secrets of God, but the things that God has revealed. That's why the Word of God is presented to us as light, as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. uh, Throughout Scripture, the Scriptures are given to us and presented to us as light, as lighting our way, as finding the light of truth. And so Jesus says here that that light of truth from God's word shines on our way. Look at what he says. Again, verse 21, uh, is a lamp bought to be put under a basket or under a bed? You get the idea there. No, it's to be sat on a lampstand, so it gives light. Now here's the application that he gives in verse 22. For there is nothing hidden which shall not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. We've seen that phrase repeated over and over. And Jesus is talking here about how God's revelation is like to us. God reveals the truth to us. If you have faith to believe, if you have ears to hear, not your uh, fleshly ears, not your fleshly eyes, but the eyes of faith. Do you see in Jesus' stories these parables? Do you see in Jesus' illustration about the lamp that he's talking about divine truth? By faith, do you see that? That's why he says that it will not be hidden. If you have a sincere heart of belief, if you study the Word of God, the intuitive witness of the Holy Spirit bears witness to the truth. If you are under the sound preaching, and remember we pointed out that statement in the Westminster Confession, the conscionable hearing. It's not just about being under the preaching. It's not some kind of magic that takes place. It's that you hear, you listen, you listen by faith, you're willing to study and to be taught. Is your heart and mind open to be taught with thus saith the Lord? It's a challenge to us because the world all around us says, you don't need to believe that stuff. That stuff is something from old time. That's obsolete or that's hurtful. That hurts people's feelings. If you say you believe the stuff in the Bible, but do you believe it? And Jesus says, if you do, it's the light that shines the way and that opens up more. The light shines to give us more and more of God's hidden things revealed and understood. I'm going to have more to say about that at the conclusion this morning. Those hidden things of God are not some kind of divination. The hidden things of God and the mysteries of the kingdom of God are not a crystal ball. The hidden things of God and the mysteries of God are not going to be found on the daily news or uh, in in other places where we begin to look outwardly and try to divinize and say, oh, we can interpret what's going on. No, we look to the word of God. And, And I believe we need to hear that very carefully because there's a lot of confusion in our day. And then Jesus goes on in verses 23 through 25 to use the unit of measure. So look at verses 23 through 25. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, take heed what you hear. Don't believe everything. Don't listen to everything. Don't listen to all these conflicted voices. Take heed, be careful what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. I know these are challenging verses as well. But what is Jesus uh, focusing on here? He's focusing on the unit of measure. It's used as an object lesson about faith hearing. You know what a unit of measure is? You have measuring cups. Maybe there's baking going on at your house these days. And you use the measuring cup. Or perhaps you use a a gallon measure. Uh, Let's go pick up a gallon of milk. You know that a gallon of milk is not a pint of milk. We have an idea of what the measure is. Uh, One's bigger than the other. You go to get gasoline in your car. Aren't you glad that the, the, um, gasoline pumps are regulated so that you're getting, or we trust that we're getting a full gallon of gasoline? So you know what a unit of measure is. And Jesus says here about this unit of measure that's a common thing that we use. It's, he's using an illustration to tell us about how we hear the word of God. What measure do you use? Do you use your own intelligence as a measure? Do you use popular entertainment? Do you use all the the activities and current events? Is that the way you measure the Word of God and whether it's true? That's a false measure. We don't need human measures. We need divine measure. That's what Jesus is saying. Measure it by the revelation of the Word of God. The same truth that shines is also the measurement. Scripture interprets Scripture. That's where we look. That's why Jesus says that if you use that measure... It's going to enlarge. The more you measure with the Word of God, the more you understand, the more you hear. You're careful about what you're hearing. You're hearing the Word of God. And that's why Jesus says that it's a measure that increases. It's faith hearing. Now in each of these examples, believers expand the witness of God's divine mysteries. They see more, they hear more. By faith. Faith seeing more. Faith hearing more. While unbelievers are exposed and accountable to the externally revealed truth of God and conscience witness to God's truthfulness. Unbelievers are not excused. Unbelievers are accountable. That's what Jesus says here. Even what they hear will be taken away from them because they don't see and believe and hear and believe by the word of God. Unbelievers see externally. Unbelievers hear externally. But because they didn't have the light of truth or the measure of truth, it does not increase and build up for them. And it's even taken away. See, unbelievers have the light and the, and the measure of God's truth taken away when they deny the word of God. When they say, oh, God has not said uh, 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 it can only be married to uh, between men and women. God hasn't said that. Oh, God has not said that if two people really uh, are uh, committed to one another and love one another, no matter what that love is, no matter who they are, that it's okay. God has not said these things. And of course, we can go on and multiply any number of examples. Examples. Uh, God has not said that conception is the beginning of life. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus sent the incarnation, the Son of God, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the incarnation took place. When the human nature and the divine nature came together at conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary. God has not said that life begins at conception. What does the incarnation mean? But that life begins at conception in the image of God. So when people turn against hearing the word of God. When people turn against seeing what God's word reveals. It's light and truth is taken away from them. That's what this scripture is saying. And it's a challenge for us. I'll confess to you, I want God's glory more, but I do want everybody to believe. I want everybody to believe. I want everybody to have the peace of God in their heart. I want everyone's sins to be forgiven. I want the power of the Lord Jesus to restore and to bring to life. I want that for everyone, but I want God's glory more. And I trust and I believe what Jesus says here. Even in the judicial penal purposes of God, He is glorified. And he's glorified when he takes away even the light of truth and the the measure of truth when unbelievers turn against him and turn against his word. And I know God is glorified in that. Even when believers are scorned, God is glorified in that. But we don't return scorn for scorn, do we? Because Jesus taught us better. Now, Jesus' parables are intended... For his disciple believers to provoke thought and reflection. If you hear these, um, parables and you're thinking, man, I, I need to know more about that. I wish I understood more about, that's good. That's what Jesus intended. Jesus intended his parables to provoke thought and reflection. You should be thinking about it. I hope you'll go home today and think about the, the parable of the, the seed and the parable of the mustard seed. I hope you'll go home and think about that because that's what Jesus intended. Uh, So these two following parables that we have that are identified as parables, Jesus says these are parables about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. The parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed. Now what I want you to see is the connection here in Mark 4 is that these two parables could indeed be considered as elaborations on the theme of the parable of the sower. Remember what we said about the parable of the sower when Jesus interpreted it for us? And then we said we don't want to lose the the emphasis and conclusion that Jesus says there's an abundant harvest. So what is Jesus telling us about here now added to the parable of the sower or the parable of the abundant harvest is that seed germinates. You can't make it germinate, but you can reap its fruits. The mustard seed looks like a little insignificant piece of dirt, but look what it produces. So Jesus has something to say to us about the effectiveness, the effectual presence of the kingdom of God here on earth. And that's what I want to lead off with as we look at these two parables. They're short parables. Do you believe in the effectual presence of the kingdom of God among us? That's my question for you this morning. In verses 26 through 29, we have the parable of the growing seed. Look at verses 26 through 29. And Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Well, we already saw that, the sower goes out to sow the word of God, but he's picking up on that theme. And this is what he says, though, after the seed is scattered. Remember, in the previous parable, uh, the seed, most of the seed was uh, scattered in the field, in the good soil, but some of it was scattered over the boundaries of the of the field. Now, Jesus goes on to say that the kingdom of God, as if, as if a man, a sower, should go out and scatter seed on the ground, And he means by this the good ground, the cultivated ground, because what happens? Well, then he goes and sleeps by night and rises by day. He goes about his task. He goes about his farming business. And the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. He can't make it happen. Even farmers today, with all their genetically modified stuff, which I don't like, they can't make it grow. They are dependent upon What God has created, the seed within itself, the ability to germinate, and then the external conditions that nurture it. Same is true, even if we're not farmers. We know that we're dependent upon God's creative order. That when you plant tomatoes, maypops don't grow up. Wouldn't that be a disappointment? Y'all know what a maypop is? A gourd? Okay, if you plant tomatoes on your deck in a little um, deck garden... And you're looking forward to having those tomatoes in your salad. What if what if gourds grew up in the place of those tomatoes? But it says tomatoes right here in the pack. Well, we know we do the best we can, but you never know about seeds, you know? That's not the way it is, is it? God has created the seed within itself to bear fruit after its kind. God did that, and we still depend on it. All right? So he tells us that the farmer, after he sows the seed, I mean, he can go about tending to it. He can weed the garden. He can fertilize all these different things. But he's dependent upon what God created within the seed and the external elements of of the nutrients of the soil and the the rain and the snow from heaven. And then what happens? Verse 28, the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head. After that, the full-grown grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So he cannot affect the growing of the crop, but he can witness the growing of the crop and then he can be prepared for the reaping of the crop so that it doesn't spoil or rot. So it's a beautiful, simple parable that Jesus tells us here. And he tells us that seed germination from within itself and then nurtured from without to be fruit bearing, which we all can witness to, that this is what he means about the the kingdom of God. The fruitfulness of the word of God by the internal and external means of grace. I cannot make you believe. Look, you can't even make your own most dear beloved ones believe. Uh, One of the things that I am careful to point out, just did recently in uh, uh, the uh, wedding that we had, and that is that marriage is not a sacrament. And as Reformed believers taking the Word of God, we make that clear. We need to clarify it again because it gets all muddied up. But marriage is not a sacrament. What do we mean by that? It is not a redemptive relationship. A husband cannot redeem his wife. A wife cannot redeem her husband. You know that even goes further? Even Christian godly parents cannot redeem their children. Only Jesus is the Redeemer. But what does Scripture tell us in covenant relationship? There is sanctified benefit. A Christian husband can be a sanctified benefit to his wife. A Christian wife can be a sanctified benefit to her husband. Christian parents, even one, or both believing Christian parents can be a sanctified benefit to their children. But they cannot redeem them. I can't make you believe the Word of God. I can scatter the Word of God like the farmer. I can nurture it with prayer and with tears. But only God can give the increase. Only God can make it effectual. Only God can bring the fruit of repentance and faith. And only God can keep us till harvest. I I like a a phrase I picked up from a a current Reformed pastor uh, in preaching. I remember him saying so forcefully and so powerfully, if we could lose our salvation, we all would. (laughs) That has stuck with me. If we could lose our salvation, we all would. Why don't we lose our salvation? Because Jesus keeps us. Jesus keeps us till the harvest. And so that's the point that he's making here about the the mystery of the seed growing in germination. That's the effectual working of the Word of God. Will we be faithful to scatter it? Will we be faithful to nurture it with prayer and with tears and with worship? Will we be faithful to believe it? God will bring the harvest. And then he gives us another parable. From the examples he gave, now he turns to parables. And this second parable, I know that you're all very familiar with it. It's the parable of the mustard seed. Look at verses 30 through 32. And Jesus said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? So he's telling, Look, here's another parable. It is like a mustard seed, which, when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. So here's the parable of the mustard seed, a small seed that produces a large and useful plant. I mean, that's the obvious lesson here. This little mustard seed produces a large and useful plant. What are we to take from that as a parable of the kingdom of God? We're to take from that the fruitfulness of the word of God is greater than its visible appearance. You see, we're called to faith. We're called to see by faith and to hear by faith. That the Word of God, what we're doing this morning, the faithful preaching of the Word of God, the conscionable hearing of the Word of God, is greater than outward appearance. I've been hitting this a lot lately because our faith needs to be strengthened up and shorn up. We become discouraged. We see empty seats. We wonder, where are there other people? Why is the Word of God not being effectual? It is being effectual. You know one of the ways that God's word is being effectual and the kingdom of God is here that has been taught me over the years is that I have seen many of your faces for 17 years. I've seen youngsters grow up from 5 years old, baptized as covenant children, become communing members. I've seen parents become grandparents. I've seen your faces in this course of time, some for 17 years, some for 12 years, some for 8 years, some for 3 years. But I keep seeing your faces because the Word of God is effectual and it brings the fruit of harvest. Do you see that by faith? That's where we're being challenged to believe that the Word of God is more effectual in the kingdom of God than what it looks like from outward appearances. The mustard seed is about the size of a grain of sand. What does it grow up into? It grows up into a plant that's bigger than a basketball goal. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Look, if you're amazed by that, how can you not be amazed by the kingdom of God? The word of God is a far greater effectual working than what we can see with our eyes or hear with our ears. We see it by faith. We hear it by faith. Jesus tells us it's like a mustard seed. It's greater than outward appearances. So let us not be doubting. I want to point out another thing to you. I told you that we have to be careful not to try to make parables into allegories. Now, in the parable of the sower, uh, the seed or the harvest, Jesus said that the birds there that he used, they were like Satan coming and taking away the seed. Okay, Here, Jesus references birds nesting in the uh, uh, plant of the mustard plant that grows up. In this instance, birds are not used negatively or in an evil way. Just because birds were used once that way doesn't mean that every time a bird is mentioned... That it's used to represent Satan. See, that's an attempt to allegorize. And that's not safe. Here, Jesus doesn't say anything about the, the birds being evil. He actually says the plant is useful. Because all kinds of different birds come and nest in it. And birds are presented to us oftentimes as beautiful and as um, creatures of God. So that's why we are very careful about the way we interpret parables and we don't try to allegorize them. Here, the point that Jesus is making is about the usefulness of the mustard plant, if you saw uh, just a few handful of uh, mustard seeds, you might think that that was just dirt or sand. You might think that's that's of no use. What can that do? Not even to uh, try to draw on Jack of the Beanstalk. <laughs> and the idea is that well, that mustard seed is planted, and then what happens? It grows up far beyond what it intended or what it looked like it was going to do. It becomes a huge plant, and it's a useful plant. That's what he's telling us about the kingdom of God. Don't be of little faith. And I say this to me don't think that your little preaching is of no use. Whenever you bear witness to the word of God, it's fruitful. The angels rejoice. Jesus is honored. God is pleased. So stop doubting and preach faithfully and listen carefully. Take heed what you hear and how you measure the word of God. Measure it by faith that while it may seem to be small and insignificant, It's effectual for God's purpose. It accomplishes that to which He sends it. It will not return to Him empty. It grows up like a great mustard plant. And it's helpful and useful. And so the worship of God is helpful and useful to you. Coming here week in and week out to be nurtured by the external means of grace for the internal working of the Holy Spirit in using those things. That's what we say about baptism and the Lord's Supper and the preaching and the singing and the praying. God's Means of grace. Those things externally can't change your heart. But if your heart has been changed and germinated by the Holy Spirit to life in faith, what do the external means of grace do? They nurture you to bear fruit. What is the greatest fruit we can bear to God? I say this. I wish I could shout it from the rooftops. What is the greatest fruit that we bear to God is worship of Him. Everything else comes after that. To worship God in spirit and in truth. To worship God fully. To worship God joyfully. To worship God publicly. To worship God delightedly. Everything else comes from that. The greatest fruit of our life of faith in the kingdom of God is to worship and bow down and confess Jesus is Lord of all. And that's what we do in the public worship of God. If we're worshiping uh, worshiping Him aright, if we're being um, lighted and if we're being measured, By the word of God. So Jesus then brings this section to conclusion in verses 33 and 34. And with many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable he did not speak to them. And when they were alone he explained all things to his disciples. I've often reflected on that and thought, man, wouldn't that have been something... To be out by the seashore or on the hillside or to be in the synagogues and to hear Jesus constantly preaching and telling these, these parables and wondering about, man, I, I wonder if what, if I want to know more about that. And then Jesus says, yeah, you come on, you come on with me, come on to the house with me. So a group of disciples, we don't have more than the uh, 12 apostles because he'd already chosen them and we're told that the disciples were more than that. But there are some disciples, maybe Jesus said, whoever wants to learn more, come on. And, the, and those who were followers came on. for for the second lesson. You know about second breakfast? we got a second lesson. And so they come and Jesus tells them what these things mean. But you know what we have? Jesus said we have something better. By faith, Jesus said he's given us the Holy Spirit, the Convincer, the Paraclete, the truth, the Holy Spirit of truth, so that we can study and measure the Word of God by the light of the Word of God, and we can know the truth of God. So don't think you're coming behind because you weren't able to follow Jesus for second lesson. No, he tells us now, I've appointed these means to nurture your soul and to interpret my word for you. And so here's what we're to understand. Yes, although unbelievers may hear the parallels of the spiritual truth of Jesus' parables, unbelief is demonstrated by no fruit of repenting and confessing the guilt of sin or the gift of salvation. You want to know? If the preaching of God's word is truthful, true to his light, and if it's measured out according to his word, here's the question that answers that. Here's the answer to that question. And that is, there is confession of sin and there's repentance before God. That's the fruit of the effectual working of the kingdom of God in our midst. Do you confess your sin? Do you repent of your sin? Do you have restored joy over your salvation? I do, beloved. I'm not ashamed to tell you. When I come into this pulpit, when I come into the worship of God, I am engaging in the worship of God. Even though there are aspects of leadership that I give to you, when I'm preaching the Word of God, I'm preaching it to myself. I better be believing the Word of God and not be a hypocrite. I have to answer to God for that. And beloved, I believe and preach the Word of God that it brings the fruit of repentance in your life. That you believe God. That you hear things that, oh, I believe that. I need to believe that. And there are other things you hear and I don't need to do that. I need to confess that. I need to seek God's forgiveness. It's not a formality that we have the confession of sin and the statement of forgiveness and absolute. That's not a formality. That's an appointed means of grace. The preaching of the Word of God is to enlighten you more fully to measure more to you in fullness of God's promises. And so, the confessing and repenting over the guilt of sin. And rejoicing in the gift of salvation. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work of regeneration. Of being made alive to God. And I want to point out to you again... You can go back and read it if you want to. Verses 1-34. through What is it that Jesus emphasizes that we must not miss in this first part of chapter 4? Jesus emphasizes fruitfulness. You can't miss that. Over and over He talks about it. Every parable He gives is about fruit bearing. Growth. liveliness. Why? Because the kingdom of God is alive. We are alive in Christ. We are the kingdom of God. And it's effectual here on earth. According to God's purpose, that it is not empty. Don't be doubting. Don't be of little faith. God's word accomplishes that for which he sent it. It is not returned to him empty. And so, faith seeing and faith hearing, sanctified listening. See, faith seeing by the light of God's truth. Faith hearing, sanctified listening by the measure that God knows all things. God's word is true. So my question then is, are you watching and are you listening by faith for the kingdom of God? Do you see it? Do you hear it? I want to caution you here. Because in Jesus' public ministry, the time came when there were disciples who had been following Him. And you know what they said? This is a hard saying. We don't like this. We don't want to hear any more about this. We just want you to make food like you did. You know, multiply the bread, multiply the fish. We heard you made wine at the wedding feast. Give us the stuff we want. And that will make us happy. We'll make you king. What about a king? who Soldiers could never die. He just goes and touches them on the head and they pop back up. Jesus says, you don't get it. That's not the kingdom of God and that's not the kind of king I am. You must eat my body and drink my blood. Ooh! We don't like that. That's hard. We don't want to hear what you say. My my words are spirit. My words are truth. Oh, yeah, we don't want to hear about that. We want manna, the the, uh, food that came from heaven. That's what we want. Jesus said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. What good does that do you? I give you the words of life. Uh, We don't want to think about that. That's too hard to think about. You know, they turned away and they followed him no more. And Jesus said to us, are you going to go away too? What did Peter say? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe that you are the Christ of God. And what did Jesus say? Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, Peter. My Father in heaven. You see by faith. You hear by faith. You see and you hear the true kingdom of God. And so I do want to caution you, as Jesus cautions us believers about what we listen to and what we look at, Jesus gave a fearful warning. It's called the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. I believe it primarily applies to the destruction of Jerusalem, but as a covenantal pledge of how Jesus brings judgment. And you know what Jesus said there? We just don't listen. Jesus said, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of war, North Korea. People are going to say, Christ is in the desert. Christ is in the mountain. Christ is in the house. Jesus said, do not listen to it. That's not where Christ is found. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There are going to be earthquakes. There are going to be storms. Next week we're going to come to a storm. And Jesus is going to show creative power over the storm because He's the Creator. Have you ever listened to and heard the words of Jesus who said, don't look into current events for the kingdom of God? Don't listen to the prophecy mongers on the radio or in the the television to find the kingdom of God. They're always saying, there are wars and rumors of war. The end is coming. They're always saying, there's an earthquake over here. There's an earthquake over there. There's a big storm that happened here. There's some other disaster, natural disaster that happened here. This must be where Christ is. Jesus said it unequivocally. Why don't we listen to it? This is not the kingdom of God. You're not going to find the kingdom of God by trying to demonize about wars. You're not going to find the kingdom of God by trying to trace out on your map connections between the the ring of fire and the earthquakes and volcanoes. Jesus says those things are always around since the fall. You don't have a crystal ball to tell you when Jesus is coming back. You have the word of Christ to tell you the kingdom of God is now. And the power of the gospel. That's what we're to believe. That's what we're to listen to. Stop listening to this other stuff. They're strange and false voices. Even though they claim that they're speaking for Christ. If they do not speak the word of God truthfully. If they do not shine the light of God's gospel truthfully. It's a false light and it's a false measure. It is not to be heeded. Do not listen to it. Listen to Jesus and ask him, what do your wonderful parables mean, Jesus? They're the magisterial mysteries of the kingdom of God that is now and among you. We'll go on next week with the conclusion of chapter 4 in Mark's Gospel.